Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Hash, where every day we find out who is colorblind on this show. It is Blue Thursday. I think we all have a different shade of blue on. Congratulations to the three of us. I'm Jen Sinassi. We got Zach Seward and Adam B. Levine here to unpack the top crypto stories of the day. Zach, you're kicking us off. What do you got? All right. I'm kicking us off with the prospect of legal threats. Purely hypothetical here, but Brian Armstrong, CEO of Coinbase, big old U.S. exchange, is thinking about what would happen if there was the potential for regulatory intervention as it relates to the new Ethereum network. When posed a question on Twitter, he jumped in the replies and say, hey, if push came to shove and we were asked to censor Ethereum transactions at the protocol level, we would likely do that so as to not run afoul of Johnny Law. Rational response, potentially big picture thinking, but certainly a conversation that is taking place quite loudly in the wake of OFAC sanctioning the entirety of the Tornado Cash protocol, causing some people to be alarmed so that future actions may go even farther. So this is, uh, this is interesting always to see the CEO of a major exchange in the space get into the comments on Twitter. I think that is a feature of the space. It's relatively flat in terms of people getting involved and talking and sharing their opinions. But the big picture here is, hey, don't want to run afoul of the law. And if it came down to it, we're a company, we have to protect our corporate interests, and that's what we will do. I'm going to toss this to Adam for his thoughts on this latest news from Coinbase. It's an interesting piece of news, I think more so in that it really kind of draws us back to the philosophy of cryptocurrency. That philosophy basically says that this is not just a better way to do things. This is sort of a fundamental reorganization of how things can be done and of how things perhaps should be done in recognition of those new realities. So this is a tension that I think that we're going to see increasingly as we go over the course of the next couple of years and as Ethereum clearly rises as an increasingly important force, not just in the world of collectibles, but also in the world of finance. 
One of the things about Ethereum that my sense is, at least, uh, you know, as someone who really don't consider myself a Bitcoiner or an Ethereum fan, anything like that, I'm in general a fan of these technologies, but it's hard to, you know, really do anything other than just recognize what's happening right now. Right now, what I think we're seeing is we're seeing that the Ethereum ecosystem, which has been much more comfortable with government oversight, has been much more comfortable with, uh, you know, the types of controls and the types of requirements that really a lot of people in the world of Bitcoin have not been. This is the challenge, is that as you become more important, it becomes harder to resist the pressures that naturally come upon you to be compliant with sort of the rest of the world, right? And in a world of, you know, Bitcoin, Satoshi Nakamoto, there is no founder, nobody knows anything about anything, there are no companies who are systemically important. Like, you can see that Bitcoin has given up a lot to keep that robustness that has made it so that this type of stuff doesn't really matter in the same way. Ethereum has gone the other direction, and so it's both an opportunity and a challenge for them. But it's not at all surprising to see these types of moves from, again, publicly traded CEOs. You know, I mean, like that is, there's a ton of responsibility that falls on you when you're in one of those positions. And so this just seems like it's the only possible answer that you could give, because otherwise you're basically saying, you know, that either we're going to, you know, that this is going to ruin parts of the ecosystem or we're going to shut down parts of our own ecosystem and then be less competitive as a result of being in these jurisdictions. So. It's not surprising. It's a little bit disappointing to see, but I think it's a big issue that Ethereum is going to have to deal with over the course of the next couple of years. Jen? Yeah, I was also not surprised by this. I mean, and also kudos to Brian Armstrong, who's just so willing to get out there and share his opinion and be so publicly outspoken about a lot of the things we talk about in the space. I think him choosing to rather shut down staking than enable on-chain censorship is not surprising coming from him. He's shown that, you know, he is driven by that foundational ethos that you were talking about, Adam. But at the same time, he really needs to be on the right side of regulators. Coinbase has definitely been in the spotlight lately. There's the insider trading case. The SEC is looking at them for a bunch of alleged securities that are on the platform. And then if you remember last year, they shut down their Lend product because the SEC threatened to sue. So I think, you know, Coinbase really can't afford to be on the wrong side of regulators. And so, again, not a surprising tweet. But Zach, back to you. Or yeah, I mean, I think with the proof of stake transition for Ethereum, right, it's a whole new way to secure the network. And there is the emergence of some very large validators, some of which are exchanges themselves. And I think there are sort of uh, concerns that those are entities that may be censored, sanctioned, or otherwise inhibited from carrying out um, an uncensored transaction history on the Ethereum blockchain. So these are some of those big picture questions that you often hear sort of bandied about in the debate with between proof of stake and proof of work, which are two very different competing versions for how to secure a network. Ethereum heretofore has been proof of work, but this is a big shift obviously to proof of stake. And it introduces sort of these game theoretical weird things that have to be reckoned with when it comes to nation state level attacks on this network. And I think to Adam's point, you know, that exchanges are sort of becoming bigger and bigger validators of the new Ethereum is something that potentially has ramifications down the line. But we will wait to see what those ramifications are, and I'm sure we'll talk about it then. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. 
Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. We're changing gears here. Let's go to Adam with some interesting news from the US. Yeah, there are some interesting news out there right now. So DAOs or decentralized autonomous organizations are in the news a lot these days. Whether it's a DeFi DAO making decisions about where to set interest rates or a charity DAO pooling money together to support a cause like legal aid for embattled journalist Julian Assange, DAOs are increasingly providing a way for people who share common interests, but often little else and often don't even know each other, to pool their resources and accomplish something. This morning, there's an interesting story we're looking at right now that's not really what you'd expect. According to Coindesk Sundali Hundagama, a digital economic zone backed by the Catawba uh, Indian nation in Rock Hill, South Carolina, uh, wants to recognize decentralized autonomous organizations as either unincorporated nonprofit associations or limited liability companies. That's according to draft rules that were published yesterday. The draft, uh, which runs about 12 pages, is actually pretty interesting, but it's also fairly dry. Uh, so if you're a Dow wonk out there, recommended you find that link in the article and read through it yourself. But really what this does to me is it starts to lay out the process for what kinds of information and compliance is going to be required to run a Dow as a legal entity in the United States, but without notably falling under rules set by state or federal authorities. That's because the federal government in the United States typically recognizes Indian tribes as distinct governments with the same level of powers as federal and state governments to regulate their own internal affairs. And that reality stands in pretty sharp contrast to the other state or to the state in the U.S. So of Wyoming, which also passed similar legislation some years back, but has been struggling to reckon how that works relative to the federal laws that companies incorporated there would also fall under. So like the, we, I don't have to go on about this story, but it's interesting to me as a runaround here, right? Like this is a way that you potentially can do a lot of stuff here without having to wait to get clarity from the feds so long as you can put yourself into that situation, which it seems like very much is what they're looking to do. Jen, I'll throw this one to you first. Yeah, I just want to give our audience a little bit of background on the Catawba Digital Economic Zone, because I didn't actually know about it until this morning. So they're calling this jurisdiction a jurisdiction built for Web3 that allows companies to remotely incorporate under their laws. So you don't even need to go there. You can incorporate online. They promise a legal framework that won't slow down progress committing to regulatory meetings every two weeks so that regulation can match and move as quickly as innovation. The community meets on Discord and there's a regulatory sandbox that's protected by the U.S. treaty obligation. This all sounds great, right? This all sounds like what we've been calling for. I don't know, Adam, is this new? I, I don't know why we haven't heard about it before. So the economic zone is not new, but this set of draft rules specifically about DAOs and they're, they're DAO LLCs or DAO, uh, I forget what the acronym is, but they're, they're DAO uh, unincorporated nonprofits, basically. Those are the two things. So it's actually a new type of company or two new types of companies under this. So that's, that's the reason why we're seeing this is because previously this had existed, but it hadn't had these specific rules around DAOs. And now that we're starting right. to see them, we're seeing interesting things, including, you know, like identifiers that the, the nation is going to effectively use to, to recognize who is actually a member of the DAO and other things. Yeah, back to you, Jen. Yeah, no, that's really cool. And so I think the economic zone as a whole needs a better strategy to get DAOs and get Web3 companies involved. I went to their Discord channel this morning. There are 49 members. You know, they're asking people to read through these draft rules, provide feedback. Anyone can provide feedback, whether you're a company, a DAO participant, a DAO founder, just someone who has a lot of opinions. And so when I read stories like this, I really urge people in the community who call for these types of regulations, call for these types of conversations to join the channels and participate. 
So please, 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 everyone go and do that. That's the only way that we get regulation. The way they're thinking about DAOs in this is also very interesting. You know, I've said on the show before, right now, DAOs are just like a really interesting and innovative way to manage a treasury. We haven't really figured out how DAOs can participate in real world contracts. We've seen some DAOs, you know, incorporate as LLCs in the United States so they can enter into real world contracts. But that comes with its own challenges on the legal front and also on the organizational front. And so this is really interesting. I think it's a step in the right direction. I think we might see some interesting innovation and precedent come from this. I think it's awesome. Zach, what do you think? I think tribal sovereignty is really cool. I think this fits into the broader picture of smaller municipalities courting crypto technologies, right? Whether it's the Marshall Islands or whether it's like Catawba people in South Carolina or whether it's cities, Niagara Falls, New York comes to mind. I think some municipalities, governments, nations, be they tribal nations or other, they're courting these technologies as a way to foster economic development and help the people where they are. So I think it's interesting to see tribal involvement here. We saw some news out of, I think it was out of the West, I forget which state, about you know native tribes sort of mining Bitcoin as a way to boost economic opportunity in their nation. So that stuff is really interesting to me. And I think it's notable that you know we're seeing this as an economic development tool, right? Hey, this is an industry that may not be uh, embraced elsewhere. Let's do it. We, we've assessed the risks. And for our people, it makes sense, right? Whether that's the state of Wyoming, or again, this sovereign tribe here in South Carolina, I think we're going to see more of it as time progresses. Yeah. I'm passing it to you, Jen. I think we're changing gears. We're changing gears. And it's been a while since we've spoken about athleticism, sweat, skill, and fanfare. So it is time for Sports Desk. Sports Desk. Ah! That ah gets me every time. All right. So NFL All Day, the NFL version of NBA Top Shot has been launched and the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, will be the face of the project. The collectibles platform launched in closed beta in December last year and is now open to the public. Collectibles are in the form of video highlights, just like NBA Top Shot. And I believe in the in the beta version, they actually sold tens of millions of dollars worth of these highlights and had 200,000 paying customers. So they had a very successful beta, it sounds like. And now all you NFL fans out there can go and grab your video highlights. Zach, passing this off to you. It looks like you have some kind of sports t-shirt on today. Do you? I do. I'm wearing my high school baseball team t-shirt. There we Shout go. Shout out Tampa Pius High School, Mill Valley, California. Go Red Tail Hawks. Shout out there. Not a football shirt, definitely a baseball shirt. But anyway, I think the question to me is whether Dapper Labs can capture lightning in a bottle, not once with CryptoCooties, not twice with NBA Top Shot, but three times. Can they do it again? Can NFL All Day be the trifecta that Dapper Labs is hoping it can become? Obviously, the early indicators suggest that maybe it can. NFL, football, some say it's America's current pastime. I beg to differ as a big baseball fan myself, but there's a huge fan base out there. And should they be able to tap into this in the way that NBA Top Shot, basically, if they hit the same vein that NBA Top Shot hit, this could be something that's very successful. Obviously, this is occurring in very different market conditions. This is not the condition in which NBA Top Shot became something that captivated the imagination and attention of collectors and even NBA players themselves. So that is the question, right? In a down market, when everyone's a little bit bearish on NFTs, can NFL All Day stand out and become a hit? I think it's an open question, and I'm curious for Adam's thoughts on that. Yeah, I think the... So I'm not a sports guy myself. My father, though, uh, has been very involved sort of with all the Dapper experiments, and I've been using him as a way to get a little bit of insight into what 
typically going on over there. You know, the NBA uh, Top Shot and now this uh, most recent NFL ones and a lot of other projects that have launched on the uh, Dapper Flow chain and in their ecosystem, these are the most mainstream of mainstream NFTs. And they are dealing with the most mainstream of mainstream audiences. And because of that, I kind of view it almost like a, a less hostile version of sort of the game industry, right? Like the game industry, it makes total sense, super obvious for anybody who knows, who understands kind of how crypto and tokens work, that you would want to incorporate those into that ecosystem. And yet you get there and most of the people hate it. <laughs> and they hate it because it's not at all what they're used to. And because the value is dubious and very speculative around this stuff. I think that a lot of these projects that are out there today really have that still. And what I'm waiting for to come out of the Flow ecosystem really is when they start using these for games and when they actually start to be something besides just, hey, here's a highlight moment that I own and you don't, right? At that point, I think the math changes about it significantly, but I'm still waiting for that more than a year after I thought that they would have done something along those lines. So it's a big win for them. There's no question about that. And I would be surprised if they strike out, but I think they have some tough math to figure out still and some tough problems still to solve. Zach? Yeah. Meanwhile, you know, so rare, which started as a European football phenomenon has, you know, also hopped the pond and is doing MLB stuff. That's more gameplay stuff where it's a more like, more like fantasy sports rather than just collecting for the sake of collecting. Uh, would be interesting to see if Dapper adds that functionality. As it stands now, I think they like, you know, being digital trading cards. They are something that many people can immediately recognize as something that's familiar, but in a new form. And if that works for them with, you know, America's leading sport, that's going to be interesting. And honestly, these are just fan engagement vehicles, right? This is the NFL saying, how do I engage the next generation of fans, next generation of consumers? And I think Web3 offers a lot of really interesting answers, whether it is a trading card, whether it is sort of DAO involvement in athletic pursuits, any number of ways Web3 can juice engagement in the sporting arena. And I think, you know, there's going to be different flavors and different attempts to, to solve that question. But when it really boils down to it, I think from the NFL's perspective, that's probably what this is really about. But Jen, I'm tossing it to you. You know what I think would be really interesting? And I don't think we'll get there anytime soon because there's so many parties involved. But when we talk about the decentralization of content, intellectual property rights, this is a perfect use case. You know, we saw recently CryptoPunks and MeBits holders got the rights to commercialize their NFTs up to a certain amount of money. I think it was $500,000. If we can think about sports highlights and think about intellectual property rights, I think if the holders were able to commercialize this in some way, shape or form that all parties could agree on, it could be really interesting and it could be an easier way to build that business that we've been talking about around the NFT, right? It's much easier, I think, to monetize a video clip of a sporting event than it is a JPEG, right? If we can think about it like that, and there's a league that is thinking outside of the box, I think that that could really contribute to the conversation around decentralized intellectual property. Adam, what do you think? Yeah, so I think there's some really interesting ideas there. I would be surprised if we saw that type of commercialization be offered as part of that, because that is really what the NFL and what these players have to sell is their sort of appearance, right? Like the value of these clips, like that's significant, but I think that they want to keep them on the collector side. Thing that I'm really waiting to see emerge on the utility side around these types of sports tokens, it's not that the NFL or the NBA should create a game that uses these tokens. It's that these tokens exist out there and you don't need to be the NBA or the NFL or any of these other sports, uh, you know, leagues in order to create this. It's actually the sort of decentralized nature of token ownership that makes it such that really what you want to see created is an ecosystem of lots of different projects that use the same types of tokens in the same way where the tokens and ownership of them 
That's the thing that the leagues want to monopolize. And that's the thing that Dapper wants to really be in the flow on. And then they just want other people to come along and build games that can use sort of these sports moments within them and to use them legally in a way that benefits everybody, but allows you to really build a business off of tokens that you didn't issue yourself. It's sort of the dream of a lot of this stuff. But today we still see many projects where it's like they create the tokens and then they create the game and then that's pretty much it. And if you're doing it that way, you kind of don't need to create the tokens because it's all inside your ecosystem. So anyways, there's more stuff to do here, but it is a good sign and it's good to see the stuff moving forward. Amen to that. Onward, upward, with the arts, with sports, with progress, with technology, <laughs> with everything. All right, that's it for the day. That didn't make any sense at all. Sorry about no, that. But, but, you know, we're going out. That's going what we it. took away just from that. Just <laughs> freestyling. Just freestyling on a Thursday. <laughs> I'm Zach Seward. We got Adam Levine and Jensen Assey here. Tomorrow's Friday, the end of Color Coordination Week here on The Hash. Jen, what's it going to be? What are we going to close with? I got to pick... I got to pick pink. All right. We can make, make it, it work. We'll, yeah. we'll make, yeah, we'll make pink good. work tomorrow. It's going to be fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Good times. Thanks for watching <laughs> us here on Coindesk TV. Thanks for also checking us out on the Coindesk Podcast Network. Lots of really great stuff there if you want to listen to the hash on the go. All right. That's it. We'll be back tomorrow. We hope you're having a great day so far. And thank you. Bye. It's not Bye. pink. It's salmon. You've been listening to the hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Ah, spring. Nothing like the world progressing towards summer to inspire your own progress. That's what life's all about in your career, relationships, and your finances. Let's talk about that last one. With the Chime Secured Credit Builder Visa Credit Card, it's easy to start building credit with everyday purchases and regular on time payments with no annual fees or interest. So your weekly grocery run can feel even more productive and that morning coffee can taste like a little victory. And if your credit scores grow, so could your opportunities to get lower rates on loans, like for a new ride or finally having a home to call your own. Sounds like progress, right? With Chime Secured Credit Card, you can start improving your credit scores right away. Get started today at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. Chime. Feels like progress. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members FTIC. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details.